Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Hello, welcome everyone to the Movement Made Better podcast. Hanging out with Coach Ray and Neil. Let me propose this question to you guys, because we've kind of bantered about this just a little bit. Do you think in the training world, are we overtraining sports-specific moves? And I mean not like from, okay... You know, I think people think overtraining from like a cardiovascular or like mm-hmm. fatigue factor, right? I'm yeah. just talking about like repetitive moves consistently, the same things they do on the field. Are we overtraining those same exact movements? Is it necessary to do that much? Well, it's hard for me to tell because I'm not in any of these gyms. Mm-hmm. From what I see on social media, if, if that's how I judge it, if that's what people are going to do. Like I saw a kid. Mm-hmm. The other day, mm-hmm. and this dad, I guess, was trying to try to get him to throw harder or strengthen his arm. Uh. And this kid was, he was holding a five-pound kettlebell in one hand. He's probably like seven or eight years old. Hmm. And then he was picking up like a, it looked like a weighted, some kind of sledgehammer. And he was doing a throwing motion with a sledgehammer. Okay. I'm like, dude, this kid's eight. Like, he doesn't need to load like weight a throw no like he could go out there play with his friends you know throw stuff at each other to go throw try to hit things in trees i mean there's so many different ways you can train a kid's arm without having to to load it with weight with actual motion yeah so if if things are and i don't know that's that's pretty extreme case yeah we talk about diversity in training right yeah mm-hmm. right so if you've got a hockey player who's predominantly in, in hip flexion a lot, right? Yeah. And quad dominant. I mean, the glutes are definitely developed in most hockey players, but quads are huge, right? Mm-hmm. When we bring them off the ice and we, we're training them, do we continue to give them the same exact drills or exercises that are going to predominantly hit those target areas again? Because as a kid, not even going into the gym, just playing hockey, my God, my legs and my ass just poof. <laughs> like getting jeans as a kid was like freaking a like yeah. it was tough and i didn't lift any weights like i didn't even go to the gym it was just me playing ice hockey so then you know but my parents were like no you're not going to play hockey year round so they i i was yeah. at the time not happy but looking back at it very thankful that they forced me to play other games or other sports so i think from a training standpoint is should we maybe possibly look at, okay, here I'm training a hockey player. What is he or she not getting out on the ice? What are some other things that I could bring in training-wise that's maybe not sports-specific that'll still help them out and carry over? Right. So I think with that, it just depends on where that player or athlete is at that point in time, Mm -hmm. right? So like if they're playing a sport and depending on what level they're at too, Mm -hmm. that's that's the other aspect. Mm -hmm. If they're a professional athlete, that's a very, very different thing. Mm -hmm. But if it's like a like a kid or a high schooler or even college, loading them up in the same movement patterns that they do when they're in practice or in the game, that doesn't seem like the best thing to do because now you're just it's it's like overtraining a particular movement. Mm -hmm. And then comes a question, do they actually need that in order to progress or do they need to refine other skills in order to get better at it, right? Because like, it's like the kid that's throwing the baseball. That kid can throw harder or more efficiently if you get his technique right. So it's not necessarily always a strength thing. Sometimes it's specifically a technique thing. 
Mm-hmm. So training them outside of the movement capacities that they already do do uh-huh. already do is really going to be where it's probably better. So definitely not training the stuff they do on the field. They already get a ton, a ton of stimulus from that. Like if for hockey players, like if they have really developed quads, developed glutes. What good will it do focusing their training on getting their quads and glutes more developed? It does absolutely nothing for them. But if you work on movement capacities that they don't have access to, or maybe they're not as efficient at, well, then more than likely that will help with some carryover to their sport. Yeah, I mean, if it depends in season, off season, mm-hmm. right? That has that stuff has to change. So if you're not skating anymore for months at a time, then go ahead and load those same motions in the gym mm-hmm. as much as you need to to get that same stimulus. But I think the year-round sports thing, the year-round of the same sport is what's really killing everyone. Like, you don't need to do that. I want to think about this in a, just a general, generic, broad scope, not specific to certain trainers, right? Because I, I think when we are used to hanging around more of the elite-level training community, that's who we know, that's who we talk to. But we have to remember, I think that's a very that's a small percentage of the totality of the trainers out there in the community. Yeah. And not to disparage the rest of the community, but from some of the things that we see on social media and in the gyms where we're encountering these sports-specific trainers, mm-hmm. you know, there's been a lot of times where we've seen techniques or or training skills where we're like, kind of like, hmm, I don't know, does that is that really appropriate for that person? Well, you know, there needs to be great communication between the athlete, the trainer, and then the sport coaches, and then the sport coaches, and then the trainer. No. Because if, if, if you don't know what this athlete is doing, like how can you kind of calculate and program their overall volume? Because mm-hmm. you don't want to do too much. Now, if the, the sport coach, obviously they're going to do some type of conditioning for their sport, they have to. But if, if the sport coach is doing everything, and then this athlete comes and sees you, and the athlete doesn't tell you what they're doing, and they say, hey, I, need to, I want to get faster, stronger, and you're just basing this on, you know, the information he gives you. Mm-hmm. Even if you do the right stuff, you're potentially doing too much for this kid, too. Yeah. And so I think that's where that aspect right there is connecting the communication lines, mm-hmm. right? Like if, so if an athlete has a strength and conditioning coach and a speed coach and they're looking at you as a trainer or a coach to train their movements overall, firstly, it's a lot of coaches, but also like, it's hard to communicate between all networks because now it's uh, okay on this day, I did this particular thing. So Uh, we can't train those movements on that day or that type of movement on that day. Or if one week where it's okay, we focused on this particular thing in practice. Now you got to look at the scope of what didn't you hit or what didn't you do. So that communication aspect makes all the difference in developing athletes, especially younger athletes in particular. Yeah. Like, think about when we got into, when we all got into this industry, right? Think about what you learned <laughs> as your base education level, right? Yeah. I think we've, we've talked in depthly about the lack of continuing education our, in our industry because I think too many coaches, too many trainers, they come out and they go, okay, I know everything I need to know, mm-hmm. right? And so we've worked with people that have gone years without ever doing any type of continuing education. So... That lack of a broader scope or a broader vision, I think, is ultimately detrimental to the 
especially if that trainer is working with an athlete, right? right? That lack of that broader scope and broader vision probably is going to be a little bit more detrimental to that athlete mm -hmm. as a result of that, uh -huh. right? So for me, it's, it's, it's continuing to learn and, and develop and see what else is out there because it's only going to give you a different perspective. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I think we all need to do is, is step back and take a look at, at different perspectives of the same picture. Yeah. The end goal is always the same. Mm -hmm. right get better more efficient get stronger whatever the case may be there's just so many different roads that you can take to get there mm -hmm. and so if you have a coach that is maybe almost to a degree kind of specialized in one thing they're not going to see those other paths and go mm -hmm. okay this makes sense as a why you're doing this instead it's just like that this this doesn't make any sense you can only do it this way having that ability to go okay, like that's not something that I would personally do, but I also don't have this person's perspective and education to understand why they're doing that. Yeah. So you're, there's a little bit of the ego there, right? Oh, yeah. You know, lack of communication, like you had said just a little earlier. And so those are all little you know, kind of roadblocks that pop up. I think the other thing, too, is, is when you're training an athlete, can you really be honest with yourself and say, okay, this kid, I really don't see very much potential not like what the parents see mm -hmm. i think that's another aspect right yeah. i think so many parents think that their kid is the next one and the chances of your kid being the next one mm -hmm. are uber uber slim yeah right so if that's the case as a coach yes you're getting paid to improve to help see improvement in that in that kid in that child's uh performance out on the field but then in the back of your mind, should you also be maybe thinking, okay, I also need to take in this, into account this kid's longevity. Mm. Absolutely. Well, and the other thing you want to look at too is does the parent want the child to be in there more or does the child want it? Like where's the motivation Great coming point. from? Is yeah. it coming from the actual <laughs> athlete or the parent? And if you see more fire from the parent than the kid, then it's like, okay, well, this kid doesn't really want to be here, which means they probably don't want to play at the next level. Yeah. And they don't want to go beyond that because any athlete that wants to make it to the next level is super self-driven. Yeah. And they'll do whatever it takes mm -hmm. to keep going higher and higher and higher. Yeah, great point. So yeah. it's so then you can see from there, you're like, okay, well, you know, this this kid really wants it and they're so I'm gonna do everything I can to help him. But if it's the parent just pushing and pushing and pushing, then it's like, okay, well, this kid's not in it. Then you need to have a serious talk with both of them. Yeah. But that's that's a tough bridge to cross right there. Yeah, that's a really tough bridge to cross. That's one that's a really touchy subject, right? Yeah. Like, how <laughs> how involved do you get? Yeah, yeah. maybe maybe don't. Mm -hmm. Right? Because you're the expert as far as, you know, evaluating how the kid performs, right? Mm -hmm. Movement quality, strength qualities, power, explosiveness. And then you're like... Yeah, I just don't really see how this, I don't see this kid even developing into a collegiate athlete, right? You know, you're just being an honest evaluator. You're not hating. This not, has nothing to do with hate. You're just looking at objectively and going, eh, I've worked with much, much more naturally gifted athletes in the same sport, and this kid just isn't there, right? They're not to that level. So then do you broach that subject with the parents? If the parents are all like, no, my kid's going to make it to college and get a scholarship and stuff. And you're like, yeah. well, I think it's in a situation like that. Maybe what you do is obviously you just, you give the kid 
the best possible training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, can, you know, get his movement quality up there as high as possible, get him as strong as they need to be, and then the results on the field will speak for themselves, mm-hmm. essentially. You just you kind of max out what, what you can give them without doing too much. Mm-hmm. Now, if a kid is just killing it in the gym and they love it, and but they go on the field and they... Hey, there's, there's not much you can do after that. It's like, that's, hey man, that's, this is, I don't know, this is where, this is where you're at. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not going to tell them that. No. But they'll figure it out. That aspect of a talented athlete versus a non-talented athlete makes a huge difference, right? Ooh. So like even from, so looking at sports, specifically from high school to college, that's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And then going from college to oh, so professional, yeah. that's an even bigger difference. Bigger difference, yeah. And so if, it's kind of like we talked about before, if you, if, that athlete isn't a stud coming in freshman or, or sophomore year. They probably do not have what it takes to make it at a D1 school mm-hmm. or one of the uh, or a higher performing school. So, and, and that's just what it is. But the difference between an average athlete, I'll, I'll call let's call him an average athlete, and a very talented athlete is that that baseline for that talented athlete is so much higher, mm-hmm. and that sp- that specificity for skill development is also a lot higher for that athlete too. Mm-hmm. And so like, if you, like we were talking about like professional athletes that played in multiple sports, mm-hmm. Deion Sanders played mm-hmm. MLB mm-hmm. and NFL. Yeah. And then there was, there's, there's quite a few athletes who played multiple sports, mm-hmm. either professionally or non-professionally. Mm-hmm. But those are naturally gifted athletes. And that subset of the population is very, very, very small. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, very much so. And so for the average, average athlete in high school, to be honest, they're probably not going to go to a D one a D one school. They're not going to perform at that high of a level. But the notion of is it more of the parent or is it more of the athlete? That that also makes a difference too. Are they just doing it because this is what they're told that they should do, uh-huh. or is this because something that they want to do? Is this something that they want to develop? Is this something that they want to actually get better at? And if so, what ways can we manifest those skills at least within a general aspect? and then help them work that in the specificity aspect. Yeah. Do you as a coach then take away from your business essentially by encouraging that student to go do other things? I mean, like, yeah. like even though you're responsible for training this, this athlete, you say, okay, can you be honest enough with yourself to say, this kid will really benefit from this other modality? Mm-hmm. Even though it's going to take away from my time with this kid, mm-hmm. But in the long run, it's going to be better, yeah. right? So whether it's, okay, you know what? You're coming to see me three, four times a week. That's fantastic. It's awesome. But I think a day or two of doing this other modality would be really beneficial for you, not just specifically for overcoming some weak points <clears throat> or it'll be able to translate over to your sport a little bit better another aspect or another skill set that'll help you out, but also a little bit getting out of what they're used to. Mm-hmm. So getting them a little bit more uncomfortable or being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, whether it's gymnastics or whether it's, you know, rock climbing, mm-hmm. right? Do trainers <laughs> maybe have to step back and be a little bit more honest in their evaluation with something like that? Yeah. And to be frank, having that perspective requires the professional to not be selfish because that is a selfish aspect of mm-hmm. going i know i can make this athlete better yes the the desire to help that athlete get better is there but being honest and going 
okay, there's actually really not much I can personally do. This mm -hmm. isn't going to be that effective. That requires us being selfless and going, I'm going to give away my business or I'm going to give away my time in order to encourage you to do something that would help with skill development or help you in areas that I can't specifically help you with or that don't mimic things that you're going to do in that sport. So from the professional side, that may be hard for some people to do if they have that kind of mentality where I can help any and everybody. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's about being realistic and going, hey, like there's just some people I can't do anything for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, you know, if, if the kid is just super driven and they have this ultimate goal, even if you don't think that they're going to get there, I'll never, I'll, I'll let that kid try as hard as they possibly can until they absolutely fail mm -hmm. and they need to see it through themselves. Um, but yeah, if, if you see, if you if they're coming in four times a week, you're like, you know what, I think you could do less days in here and do something else and you think that's going to help them, then absolutely send them off to someone else that you think can help them. I know there's some athletes, more in the professional ranks, the more than college or high school, but after they get done actually with their game, they go in and they work out right after. Is that something you would prescribe? Because sometimes that becomes common knowledge to their fan base, mm -hmm. right? And so if that part of that fan base is some of these kids are coming up in that same sport. And so, the, you know, they mimic, right? It's, it's oh, well, if so-and-so's working out for an hour after they've done playing their game, well, then I should do that. Or should I do that? Is that something that you would I actually condone? am completely against that. Has... So as someone who was a who played high school sports, right, mm -hmm. uh, football, basketball, and track, training after a game was just not a realistic thing. I didn't even have the energy for it. Let like let alone like trying to muster up the like the courage to go and do something. So if you're, and that's and if you're especially if you're a starting player, particularly a starting yeah. player yeah. in a the sport, there's no way. Yeah. There's there's just no way. I'm sorry, but like it's each game takes two to three hours depending on what you're playing. So you're talking about basically running yourself into the ground for two to three hours and then going to work out afterwards, that's a problem. And these professional athletes who are doing that, these are people that are at a level that far exceed your own. And they have a plethora of different types of coaches that allows them to work within a certain confine or certain mm -hmm. space of training. And no one knows exactly what the kind of specific training they're doing. Their training can be, okay, well, I just got done with the game. I'm going to go do some mobility work for about an hour. And I'm just going to like, and, just, and, and all they, they might be training that mobility, maybe a little bit on a more challenging side. They're not going in and trying to squat 500 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> that's not, that's not ideal. And so for the average, for, so for these younger athletes, what they have to understand is they don't have the means, nor do they have the, in most cases, skill level or talent level to go, I can go and play a game and work out right after, especially if you're already training and you're practicing five days a week. That's a lot of time. That's a lot mm -hmm. of time. If you're training six days a week, your recovery time is extremely narrow. Mm -hmm. And that is honestly, your recovery is where you, that's where you grow. That's where you adapt. That's where you get better. So if you're not recovering adequately, it doesn't matter how hard you train. You're you're at some point it's just going to hit that slow decline well because it's kind of funny because you know it's mostly like the couple athletes that i have in mind they're they're renowned for their capacity to be able to do that mm -hmm. right but for whatever reason genetically 
their bodies and mentally they can handle it, right? They have that ability to, to, to handle those added stressors, which is a very unique skill. It's a really unique trait that's not very common at all. Uh, because like you said, I think most people who are coming off a game and they are a starter or they're seeing significant time out on the field, I find it really hard to be able to go, okay, now I'm going to go do five by five squats or what, you know, <laughs> f- you know, I'm like, I'd be like, oh, hell no. Yeah. 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 I'm like, I mean, I'm going to go eat and pass exactly. out. Right? Yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to shower. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I'm going to some food. And then I'm going to sleep, yeah. uh, or at least down. It's yeah. going to take a few hours to down regulate, yes. right? Mm-hmm. But once that's done, like, boom, like yeah. I'm out. Yeah, because I could see if you're on the bench the whole game, like yeah. afterwards, go get your conditioning and right? drink it, mm-hmm. lift whatever. Or if you are a starter, you have a bad game, and you play a sport that requires a lot of skill. Let's just say you're a basketball player. Yeah. Right. You have a horrible shooting game, so you got on the court afterwards and you go shoot some free throws or some jump shots but you're not sprinting at full capacity right you know mm-hmm. taking shots anymore now you're like just kind of fine-tuning things that felt a little bit off yeah because you see a lot of this happens in golf right they have a bad day out there they get out of the range afterwards and they start just kind of refining what they're doing to get a feel of hey oh, okay there it is i'm going to take that to tomorrow yeah because in that case there, there are specific things that they're trying to focus on yeah mm-hmm. but they're not Trying, they're not going and, and taking a bucket of balls and trying to hit 350 yards. No, they're just, there's subtle things in that round that they went that just didn't yeah, feel yeah, right. Yeah, it was off. I was trying to hit a fade, but it just wasn't happening. Right? So I need to, I gotta, you know, whatever feel was working or didn't work on the course, I need to get that back. Yeah, right. But those are little chip <laughs> shots, right? That's just yeah, going they can over. Be full yeah, shots. they can, yeah, but, but they're not they're like not cranking, like, you're not swinging 100. And, 10%. Right? Yeah. They're not, you're not giving it all. Yeah. You know, so some of these athletes are, that's what their workouts are right after the game is like, they're, and you're like, damn. So you're like, shit. And, that, and that's, that, like I said, that's a special skill set. But is it's hard to, because fans look at this, they see it, they go, well, that's what I have to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, no, once again, you're overtraining. Mm-hmm. Movements that you just got done doing out on the ice or out on the tennis court or a basketball court or wherever you're doing right mm-hmm. so it's it's we look at if we know that there are repetitive motion injuries yeah then are enough trainers taking that into account when they're programming their workouts for a specific sport athlete or are they looking at okay how many repetitions did you do or what was your volume what was you know and there's a lot of data available that Especially at the high level, uh-huh. yeah. If you opened up lines of communication, you'd have access to. Yeah, and then I think that would help you be able to program a little bit better and say, okay, you got a ton of this, mm-hmm. so we're good there. Like you don't need to be doing that specific movement because you just got a ton of it last night or the day before. Let's work on some other aspects. Yeah. All right. Well, I have a client that came in today. Right, he's getting ready for an adventure race. Mm-hmm. So I mean, this consider him an athlete, right? Weekend athlete, he likes to do these different races. Mm. And before he came in, and he's like, oh man, I got up early this morning, I went for a two hour bike. Typically never does that before a training session. Okay. I'm like, all right, well, we need to pivot. I can't, I'm not gonna, we're not training your legs, but we are gonna train your legs, but it's gonna be more in like hip mobility. You know, we're gonna work on 
lengthening, strengthening some different areas, and then we'll just stick to more upper body kind of core focus. Um, because it would just be irresponsible for me to. He just went on a two-hour hilly bike ride. <laughs> and if we we're gonna do, I was gonna, ha I was gonna have him do some isometric ho lunge holds yeah, today. Yeah. It's oh. like his legs are toast. Toast, yeah. yeah. He's not really gonna get that much out of it. So it's like, okay, let's do some stuff out of the half kneeling, hmm. where yeah, your legs are stimulated a little bit, but we're we're getting some some length on that front side. Right. And, yeah. You know, we're we can do some different things out of here. And so that, that's a perfect example of, okay, you were taking into consideration the hip flexion angle, right? Mm. A lot of that, two hours on a bike, chugging up and down those inclines. So now let's get him in a half kneeling position and let's get that hip in extension mm. and let's work it there to offset the two hours that he just did, right? Yeah. So he's yeah. still getting that hip work, just not going, okay, yeah, now you're going to, the real dick trainer would be like, Oh, I'm gonna double up rear elevated split squats now, you right? No, mm -hmm. or or they would keep the workout the same, the same as yeah. the previous week or the right? previous session, or whatever, whatever they had yeah. planned out. Yeah, because some people are like that. No, I gotta have this done, right? Like I got you gotta do this workout. Yeah, You're like no, just listen to what your client just told you. Mm -hmm. He or she just did this mm -hmm. either just now, or maybe even within the last 24 to 48 hours. And so there's another, there's a big, there's a big component the trainer should be doing is when your client comes in, every time you see them, you should be asking them, what have you been doing? What have the last 24 to 48 hours seen in your life? Mm -hmm. That's actually, there's three questions I always ask a client okay. whenever they come in. How'd you sleep? Oh, great. What was your last workout? How's everything feeling today? Mm -hmm. on a basis and that's every client mm -hmm. as a professional we have to be able to go have enough of an arsenal of exercises and things to do to immediately be able to make a lateral shift into something yeah. different don't get me wrong planning and getting and, and knowing what you want to do in your mind is great it's good to have that kind of planning but for a lot of people it doesn't always work that way like if someone comes in and they're like oh man you know i just kind of like tweaked my knee like the other day I can't, ha I can't have you do lower body the same way I would have you do. So now I got to work around that particular, uh, it's called an event mm -hmm. that just yeah. happened. Yeah. So like I used to have a client who was a marathon runner and she would run a marathon every few months and she would come in after a marathon. I'm not going to sit here and have her do sled pushes. Like that's such a dick move. Like, Hey, oh, you just ran a marathon last weekend. Cool. Let's jump on that sled over there. They put like, on these, uh, these uh, blood flow restriction yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go and do some squats. Like, yeah. <laughs> that'd be messed up. So, But instead, I'd go, okay, well, based off of you having that event, looking at how your nervous system is going to be react, looking at your you know, connective tissue is going to react, looking at how your muscles are going to react, we need to actually focus on doing these things for this next week or two until your body's recovered enough to shift back into other training. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be able to adjust on the fly like that. Yeah. And I think that's hard for a lot of coaches, you know, whether it's because they're so adamant that the program must be followed to the letter. Mm -hmm. There are people with personalities like that, that this is a three week program. This is structured. You got to get it in. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, or just lack of an arsenal mm -hmm. to even understand, go, okay, oh my God, what else can I substitute? right what can i take out you know it's like when you have an injury people always go well can i still work out 
Yeah, you have other parts of your body. <laughs> I always love that excuse. Yeah. Well, I I injured my knee, so I can't work out. You do have other areas mm -hmm. other than just the knee. Right? <laughs> Plus, you, you know, you're helping promote flow there too. Right? Yeah. So we need to get the body still work and to get fluid <clears throat> pumping up and mm -hmm. down through the system to really help accelerate that healing process of that knee injury. Not only that, but with the expertise that you have, can you not say you know you're a physical therapist or anything but can you logically think of after evaluating after asking questions and getting feedback from the client doing evaluation say okay i think here's some things that can really help accelerate that recovery process of that knee injury right or things that maybe we you haven't thought about okay you know let's work on foot strengthening right there uh, that uh, you know your right knee is bum okay let's work on that right foot strength mm -hmm. maybe that's key missing element of why that knee is injured yeah. right because that yeah. right foot just isn't working as efficiently as it should so guess what that's what we're going to attack right mm -hmm. we're going to attack that right foot and we're going to attack the right hip and get that moving pretty well right mm -hmm. so let's hit those areas and those are things that I, that we should be able to hit on the flow and adapt to. You know, I think another, if you've been training someone for a while, right when they walk in the door, you can already tell, like from their gait, mm -hmm. by the way they walk in, just how they're moving. Mm -hmm. You can see their energy. You can you can kind of feel it yeah. already if, if they're going to be, hey, we're going to really down-regulate today, or hey, you know what, this is, you look good today. Let's kind of ramp up the intensity. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, and also fighting with clients. You're gonna fight with clients on that too sometimes because there's some people who just want to push it mm -hmm. all the time, right? Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No, like, eight type, like, yeah, eight type personality. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Heavier. I want to do more. I want to yeah. do this. It's like, <laughs> like let's let's not do that. Let's take let's let's take a step back. Let's let's keep the intensity at a six instead of at an eight today, and let's just be a little bit more intelligent and strategic about the training. Yeah, it's as clients are really surprised sometimes. You know, you'll surprise the shit out of a client when they come in and they. They've described to you that the last 24 to 48 hours has just been not just a physical, maybe not a physical, but just an emotional hell, mm -hmm. right? Right? Mm -hmm. They've just been just whoosh. And you just go, okay, walk out the front door, go home, mm -hmm. grab a glass of wine, sit your ass on the couch, make sure everybody's out of the house, and just veg. You know what? We're going <laughs> to we're gonna take this session. Don't worry about it. We'll roll it over. No big deal. Mm -hmm. But that's what I think you need is to get yourself decompressed, mm -hmm. get yourself away from all the shit that you've been freaking out about for the last 24, 48 hours. Oh, yeah. You know, and so when you say that to a client, especially the first time you've ever do, you do that with a client that, has, that hasn't happened before, mm -hmm. uh, it's a very surprising thing for them because they're like, oh, it's a for a lot of them, it's a totally different approach than what, especially if they've worked with other trainers. Yeah. 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 Well, because, you know, movement is, is obviously good in that situation, but they may not need to be around someone. They may just need to be by themselves and go walk, mm -hmm. go on a hike, whatever, something easy. Yeah. But they need to be by themselves so they can just kind of process everything. They don't, they don't need, necessarily need you there. Because right. it might make them uncomfortable, and they don't want to talk about it. Right. Yeah. And it makes you uncomfortable because you're like, okay, well, I get it, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've sent plenty of clients home before. Like, hey, like, you know, if you're stressed out, I don't really think it's a good idea for you to add extra stressors. As, as, as good as exercise actually is, it is technically a stressor. Mm -hmm. Oh, so, well, yeah. If, yeah. For some people, I'm just like, hey, like, you know, like, it's a nice day out. You want to you wanna go on a walk? Let's go walk. Let's hang out. Let's, let's chat for a little bit. And then they end up feeling they're like, damn, like, I really needed mm -hmm. that today. 
It's like it's it's not always about beating them into the floor because there's certain trainers who like doing that and that's fine. But not every client needs that. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to, to assess what does this person need on this particular day or at this particular moment in time. Yeah, because emotional bounding, so to speak, is something that can really restrict overall performance of what you're seeing out of a person. And, and mentally, they're just not they're not there. And when you're working out, you're training, you need that person to be there. You need the person to be present uh-huh. and, and mindful of what he or she is doing. And, and for me, uh, if I don't see that there, then what's the point? Yeah. Right? And uh, just kind of going through the motions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and if you're going into a higher critical lift, like a deadlift, you need to be in that moment, mm-hmm. right? Even if you're doing only 70, 80% of your max load, it's still a significant load. So you need to make sure that you're mentally sharp and focused. And if you're thinking about 10 other things, or you're still bitter about something that just happened 24 hours ago, well, then you're not in that moment. Yeah. You're not focusing. And so you know the risk of injury increases because you're mentally not locked in. It's that whole talk to me, Goose. It's that whole thing of you've got to be in there, right? You've got to be part of that moment, right? Yeah. You can't be thinking about other shit. Because you may end up going, oh, crap, there goes my back. Because uh, you were thinking about the thing that that shitty meeting that you had at work just six hours earlier that's still freaking sitting in your head instead of thinking, okay, do I have preload tension? Do I have my feet engaged? Do I have everything? You know, Instead, you're just still thinking about that business meeting. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. so you have to be physically engaged in that moment and mentally locked in, mm-hmm. big time. I'll tell you, this cake is good, bro. Right. You need to get some of this, dude. I will. What kind is this again? <laughs> it's too distracting. That's a lemon butter cake. <laughs> Did you make this shit? No, my client made it. Oh, your client made this? Yeah, dude, it's good, bro. Oh yeah, oh yeah. She well, it's it's cake. nice puck. It's puckery too. It's got that little bit of just. Yeah, ding. Yeah, that first bite, I almost said something right away. I was like, oh shit, nice, nice. So, oh, speaking of, we're just we got the whole hype of Top Gun this past oh, yeah, weekend, right? No, we're not. <laughs> but I was kind of thinking, one of the things I've always wanted to do is experience that type of G's in a jet. Yeah, that'd be mm. pretty cool. Right? Yeah. I, f- I have physically always wanted to feel what that is like. Oh, yeah. Right? Even before jets, you know, when they're training astronauts, they put them in that centrifugal force. Yeah. Adapt, like... Even seeing that as a kid, I was like, oh, like this. We, I don't know if it's weird or shit, but in my mind, I went, I need to try that. Yeah. Like, I want, <laughs> like, I want to see what I can physically take. Yeah. And what, how, what, how does that pressure feel? Cause in the movie, yeah. they, you know, they're describing what G's feel like, right? Mm-hmm. What does a G feel like? And what does, you know, six, seven G's feel like? Is there something? That you've always wanted to do that other people would go, you're f- crazy. That's one of them. Is to it? To be honest, is definitely that's, one that's them, definitely man. one of them. Because, like, there, there's things we, we see and it's kind of like, damn, that was cool. But then there's, like, those very few things where it's like, I want to try that. Yeah. That's what I want. I Like, I want to see what that feels like. That's probably one of those main things that comes to mind. Well, it's such a rare opportunity to have, too, yeah. right? You can't, like, even if you knew a fighter pilot... You can't just call him and go, hey, man. 
this Sunday, do you think we could just get up and yeah. just go for like 10 minutes or something? Yeah. You're like, no, I mean, there's all kinds of, there's probably a huge process that you have to go well, through. Well, plus it's cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cost. Yeah. cost is not, it's not cheap. It's not like you're going, okay, I'll, I'll pay a hundred bucks to just take me up. You yeah. know, there's, there's thousands of dollars involved, <laughs> yeah. right? Because you're paying for a lot of fuel. Mm-hmm. Well, that jet's using up a ton of fuel in just a short amount of time. Yeah. Right? So you got to pay for that, especially with the gas prices. And I wonder, too, like the first time you go up, I mean, they they have to take it easy on you because your body's not accustomed to what they're doing on yeah. a regular basis. Mm-hmm. That's if they're being nice, though. That's yeah, true. yeah, that's right. Because, yeah. I mean, you know... You, you might get that buddy that's all like, oh, I'm gonna, because yeah, I would really want you to get, because I mean, you, you see people passing out, right? I mean, that's the first thing, the blood, and then you just boom, and then they come back too, like, oh shit, yeah, all right. But yeah, I think it'd be interesting to feel just from the takeoff, boom, mm-hmm. like we just don't get that in a regular airplane, right? No, no I, not. even when you're taking off from from the runway, you get a little bit of it, mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. but it's just a little fun tickle, like, yeah, okay, yeah. all right, cool. But to think about that being amplified and how your body can actually deal with that compression, yes. I think is incredible, right? Well, if we're just riding around a NASCAR track, yeah. right? the G's are pretty intense mm-hmm. when you're doing that. Yeah. Now amplify that in a jet. Right. Jeez. I heard Shaq it talking about doing some NASCAR driving. Oh, did he? how ridiculously sore he was afterwards. Yes. Oh, I, I bet. I bet. So that debate has been going on for a long time. Are race car drivers athletes? I think to somebody who doesn't know what it takes to actually be in a car and what it's like physically going through that, they're going to say no. But if somebody actually like knows and has a little more of an understanding of what the sport is actually involved in a the sport, they probably have a different answer. Plus the type of focus mm-hmm. and the risk, yeah. you know, and these decisions you need to make at a split second is just like any high level sport. Yeah. But the consequences, the consequences are, are much more severe. severe. Yes, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. The consequences are way more severe, right? Like on a football field, if you don't assess things properly, you miss a tackle, you're out of position, touchdown takes place. Yes. Right? You go, shit, I should have been. 10 feet to my right as opposed to here and I, that would have taken place right but in a race car whether it's especially on a boat mm-hmm. especially speed boats one slight miscalculation can end up being massively catastrophic yeah All right so uh i have a client who races so it's been a world of difference learning the subtleties from him mm-hmm about what he's feeling in the car, what he's dealing with, mm-hmm. and how hot it gets in the car. Oh, I can only The imagine. heat. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, and so as he's describing that to me, I'm like, oh, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> well, think about 500 laps at 200 miles an hour. Right. That's a you lot. Know? Like, what kind of, like, relaxation and tension are you, are you going through for, I don't know how long that takes. Like, I've, and I'm not really into racing, but a Daytona 500, like how long does that well, you're take? Well, you're you're talking what almost three hours or about approximately three hours. Yeah, three hours. Yeah. In the same yeah. circle. Yeah. You know, that's well, not like three hours driving to Lake Tahoe. Well, not only that, but yeah. now think about like events like the 24 hours of Le Mans, mm-hmm. where you have two drivers mm-hmm. switching off 24 hours. I mean, that's yeah, crazy, that's, right? That's a lot of mental. Like you got to mm-hmm. be on the whole the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like actually, even even the mental side is actually a little bit more taxing than the physical For aspect. Sure. 
Because yes. if you lose, once you're tired or once you lose focus, you lost focus. Yeah. There, that is it. You can't push it any further than that. So that aspect of like racing for three hours, doing this, <laughs> dude, like I, I don't think I could last for 10 minutes. Well, what's crazy is, is so Rob, a few months back, got into a high flip. Like his car was up on, oh, that was, yeah. And so I saw the footage and I was like, oh, shit. So it's it's interesting training a race car driver because that's a person that every time he comes in, I got to be like, oh, so how was this weekend? What happened? Did this take blah, 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 blah. Because now, oh, shit, there's times he'll come in and be like, my neck is just killing me or my back or my, you know, this and that. So it's interesting looking at a race car driver. It's, you know, so VOR training, right? So getting that vestibular ocular training in. But then it's grip It's grip work. Yeah. It's building up stamina with grip work. It's just getting him mobile through the hips and mobile through the spine because he's not moving it in the car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, it's a lot of offsetting. Mm-hmm very little of the movement that he's not getting in the car because he's just locked into a seat for so long. Yeah. Right? So it's giving him just getting him ready to say, okay, when he gets out of the car, not going, oh, my back's killing me mm-hmm. from sitting in that car or over the years because that was one of the f- reasons why he came to see me was because of the chronic back issues. Yeah. So it's okay. Now your program here is to – Make sure we give you movements that are going to offset that yeah. so that you don't have that low back pain. Let's get some more movement through the spine and the hips because you're just obviously not getting it, you know, when you're racing. And, yeah, he loves the grip work. Well, so I think the biggest point then, you know, when we're training all these athletes is some of the sports they do are going to take away from their just basic human capacities. Yes. yes. So the, mm-hmm. what we need to do is, number one, is make sure that they can retain Basic daily capacity. Mm, yeah, first. yeah, absolutely. This is number one, and then right. from there, it's like, okay, let's let's go ahead and we'll see how we can help you recover better, and also see how we can make you faster, jump higher, blah blah blah, all that, all the performance side of things. Mm-hmm. But if they don't have their basic human capacities, you know, they're they're not going to perform well anyways. Yeah, and they're going to be injured. Mm-hmm. Great point. Yeah, yeah, because somebody like a basketball player who's you know got all these long levers, right? Let's say you get somebody 6'10", 6'11". They're jumping all day long, right? You know, practice, game. They're, they're you know, uh, boxing. Out. Ton of leg work from boxing.
Yep. So I'm actually like tightening up. Eyesight. This is like my eyesight. Yeah. No, don't. It's don't. a weird. Like when somebody's okay. deadlifting, and I try not to walk in front of them. I wait. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, geez, yeah. Let me let me hang out here. For yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird because my buddy Corey, the uh, he was the guy I used to train with when we were doing super heavyweights. Corey was always like, no, just be right above me. Like, just be right there. So he was different. Like, he yeah. he needed me there in the vision. So that way, if he started to come down, boom. But yeah, for him, I was always like, nope, I don't, I want you out of my eyesight. Don't want anybody there. Yeah. So, all right. Well, so I always thought that was a little odd. I didn't know if that was like, I think that's, uh, like I said, it's more motivation for me more than yeah. anything. Just a preference thing. Yeah. If you're by yourself. The states are a little different. Yeah. <laughs> the states are, yeah. The states are well, a little yeah, because I grew up at you with just by myself. I was in my mm -hmm. garage, right? I was in my basement. So that's where, you know, so if, as a high school kid, if you were doing, you know, two and a quarter, yeah, if the shit went wrong, like, you better have it. Yeah. You better have it. So that was motivation. Okay. That was drive. Mm -hmm. like you were driven to succeed. Yeah. Right? It's like Kelly Star, you know, Kelly Starrett talks about what's the proper motivation, mm -hmm. right? You give somebody parameters to accomplish something and they may or may not do it but all of a sudden you give them something else as a driving factor and that same task gets completed yeah right mm -hmm. because now your motivation has changed yeah right yeah it's like and the consequences they have oh. changed yes and that's the thing the consequences have changed and so now you're going okay now i have to get this done mm -hmm. did you ever lead climb did you lead climb? Yet? No, I haven't lead climbed. No. Okay. No. Yeah, that's the big difference between top roping and lead climbing. Oh, is yeah. that? It's, it's exactly huge, that, it's right? Difference. Yeah, it's that same thing. Like you've got this support from the top. You know what? No, you fall. No big deal. Mm -hmm. Lead climbing, you know, you're going to take a good, Ooh. however high you are above that that clip, the next mm -hmm. clip, or whatever you're clipped into, you fall double the height. What did I just see? Double Seventy. The, I saw a seventy-five foot terrifying. drop. Yeah. I forget who it was. I just saw it on, I don't know how old it was, but yeah, 75 foot drop. Yeah. I was like, mm. I was like, oh, mm. good Lord. That's that's taller than any of the runs at Planet Granite. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. movement now, whatever it is. So called. the first few times you do it, I, I would say the first, for me, it was months before I could get close to leading what I could top rope because mm. your, your anxiety level is much higher yeah. because you don't want to take a fall. And then you, you're positioning different. It takes extra two, three, four seconds maybe to, to clip. Yeah. So now instead of just kind of moving, you know, this constant flow, you've got to pause every, whatever, 12 feet, mm -hmm. yeah. 15 feet and, and clip. And, oh, yeah, but the, the fear of falling, even though, you know, you're, you're relatively safe. Yeah. Right? That extra little fear of falling, man. There's, there's so much more motivation to hold on. Oh, yeah, but then you get tired faster because yes. maybe you're gripping you're a little bit. Yeah, you're gripping, yeah, you're yeah, you're hard gripping harder than like, normal. There's such a skill in, in calming your mind mm -hmm. to be able to go, you know, to get to that same level where it's like, hey, it's the same as a rope above me or below me. It doesn't matter. Yeah, because even as you fall, you then have to still have the wherewithal to know where, where you are. Mm hmm. Because yeah. you're going to be swinging into something. Swinging into the wall. And the last thing you want to do is swing into the wall and, and boom, yep. right? Yeah. So you, as you're dropping, you've got to be like, oh, shit, I'm dropping. But now where's the wall in relation to me, yeah. mm -hmm. right? 
And do I need to put my legs out to make sure that my head's not bashing the wall? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can actually block and and kind of push make off sure of my you're legs. Not trying to grab anything on the way down. Oh, right, because that is kind of instinctive. Sure, yeah. Right? If you're falling, you want to grab and reach, but when you're lead climbing, you can't be doing that. No. Well, that'd be a tough... Oh, I... Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, don't do it. Yeah. It's just like one of those things, right? You got yeah. to have the practice and the experience with it. Like you said, it took you, took you some time. Took, yeah. Right? To kind of get better at it and understand, like, what, mm -hmm. what is it that I actually need to do?